So I'm reading from Judges this morning. We just ask the Lord to bless all these readings. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jebin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar, Sisera. The commander of the army was based in Hazotheth, Hagoven, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet from the wife of Labadeth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramahan Bethel and the hill country of Ebram. And the Israelites went up to her to have their dispute decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abelhath from Kadesh, in Namasani, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Nabahath and Zebulun, and lead them to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to them, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But you, because of the course you were taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. The book of Judges is one of the uh, weirdest books in the Bible for all of the bad and terrible things that happen. And some of the things are so bad, we're not even going to cover them in church. (laughs) So you can read the book for yourself. Uh, Some of them are just uh, ridiculous. And uh, there they are in the Bible. And you might ask, why in the world is such terrible things in the Bible? Well... One reason is because the Bible tells you the truth and the way it is. And human beings, since the beginning of time, have not been very good. Oh yes, we are admirable at times, and then at other times, the depravity, you cannot even think about how evil people can be in the depths of depravity. And the scriptures portray both of those things, the heights and the depths. But one of the things you have to remember as you read the biblical story that the hero is always God. God is always the hero. And sometimes we want to make it out to be the people in the story. That's never the case. God is the hero. And uh, it doesn't take very long reading the Bible to see that. In fact, that's the way the New Testament is written. As you read your New Testament, you read about Peter, and you read about Paul. These are not outstanding individuals. It's very sad. In fact, the greatest Christian, I would call that Peter, lives a life with a lot of failure. But it's Jesus Christ that gets a hold of his life And then when the Holy Spirit fills his life, his life is transformed so that he becomes phenomenal and fantastic and a wonderful leader. The same thing is true of all the Old Testament stories. 
And so as, as we look at this story today, I want to remind you of that. Let me give you a big outline again. Go to the next slide, please, Lynn. The story today takes place in the Valley of Jezreel, and this is ancient Israel, and the different colors are different tribes. And uh, I have cut off the south, where Judah and Simeon are, down by the Dead Sea, uh, because this story is about more in the north. Uh, where the light green, the purple, light green, not the purple, the dark red and the dark green, right at the bottom of those three tribes runs the valley of Jezreel that is in the story today. And it runs across Israel, and it cuts it in two. And uh, in this valley, by the way, it's very fertile today, a lot of agriculture in the valley today. In this valley would be a place like Megiddo, where Solomon kept his horses. This is also called Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Jezreel. And it runs across Israel, cuts it in two, and it is the perfect place to put chariots. And uh, that's exactly what happens in this story. Sisera puts 900 iron chariots in this valley, even though he is from a nation that is north of the Sea of Galilee. That's the little blue sea on the map. He puts his chariots in this valley, and he controls Israel. It's also a control for the trade route from north Mesopotamia to Egypt, the greatest trade route in the world. He puts his chariots in this valley, he controls the trade, he controls Israel, Israel's divided between north and south, and he puts his thumb down on them. Okay, if you go to the next slide. There are six major people in Judges. These are the six major ones. Othniel, Ehud, Deborah Barak, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Six judges, or Deborah and Barak go together. Six combinations of judges, and they face greater oppression as you go through the book. Greater difficulty comes on them, and the Lord raises up a judge to deliver them, and the judges get progressively worse themselves. They are more unreliable as re with regard to their character. The character gets worse and worse, and yet God uses them despite their bad character. Um, so Othniel, we don't know anything bad about him. Ehud, we saw him, the left-handed deceiver assassin. Uh, Barak, we're going to learn about him today, the man who is unwilling to go unless Deborah wants him to, go, unless Deborah goes with him. Gideon, the man who is too scared to serve God and too scared to fight and instead becomes a king. Jephthah, who makes a rash vow and kills his daughter. And Samson, who is sexually promiscuous and complete lack of self-control and character. And as you go through the book, you have increasingly unreliable characters, and yet God does amazing things through these characters. God's the hero. God's the hero. Go to the next slide. This is the cycle that is repeated over and over again in Judges. 
the people again do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They depart from Him. They serve other gods. Do all kinds of ridiculous things. And so then the Lord gives them into control of oppressors, foreign nations. With Othniel, it was Aram, or Syria. With Ehud, it was Ammon, to the east and to the south. And with uh, Barak, it is Sisera and uh, Jabin from the north. Uh, Eventually, it will be the Philistines from the west. The Lord gives them over. The Lord does that. Okay, you don't want to serve me? You can serve other people. You can serve other kings. Israel then cries out to the Lord. Lord, help us. And he does. If I was God, I would have said, okay, I'm done with Israel. (laughs) Time to get me another people. (laughs) This people's too unreliable. Every generation they leave me, and every generation I got to pull them back. I'm tired of pulling them. I'm going to let them go. He doesn't, thank God. Israel cries out to the Lord, and the Lord raises up a deliverer and sends a leader to help them. And a number of times in the book, this leader is called a Mosia, Mosia, a savior. And he saves them. And then the land has peace. The re- one of the reasons why I think this is in your Bible, because as you read these stories, you go, how can God use that person? Or how can God bless that person? Look at the weakness in their life. And look at the failure in their life. And we keep longing for this person who will come along, who will be a great leader and a great savior without any of the falling characteristics. And we keep waiting. And of course, that is not accomplished till Jesus comes. He is the perfect savior. So last time we looked at Ehud, he saves through deception. When Jesus comes, he doesn't have to deceive anybody. He tells the truth. In fact, he is killed through deception. Someone betrays him. But he just tells the truth, and God saves through someone who tells the truth. Today we find out with Barak, here is a person who is unwilling to go. And finally, the land has peace. Go to the next slide. These are the flawed saviors. Uh, We've talked about that. Next slide. Well, that's little. Okay, we can let's let's talk about the text. Um, Thank you, Jim, for reading all those hard words, so I don't have to read them. Uh, Look with me at verse uh, three. Sisera is based in Harasheth, Hagoyim. Hagoyim is simply the nations. Ha means the Goyim Gentiles, the nations. He had 900 chariots fitted with iron. Those are the best kind of chariots. Israel has how many chariots? Zero. Right, they, don't, they don't even have swords. Uh, it's hard to win a battle when they've got chariots and you've got sticks and hoes and clubs. 
He oppressed us for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Um, It is so unusual that Deborah is leading Israel. It's so unusual because most leaders, kings, are there because of their strength, because they're warriors, and strength is needed in battle to save from enemies. And Deborah doesn't have strength, not to be a warrior. And in Israel, the most obvious leader would be the high priest. Deborah can't be a priest, much less high priest. And yet she's the leader. A woman steps up without the resume. Notice that she's also a prophetess. She speaks for God. It's vital that we always have someone who speaks for God. The very words of God. That's Deborah. And you see it a number of times in this passage where she says this is what's going to happen, or this is what you should do. This is what God says. She's a wife, and we find out from chapter 5, she's a mother. She has children. And she's a judge or a leader. People go up to her to ask her to, to decide their cases, and she settles those cases. Verse 6, notice she sends and calls Barak. Notice verse 6, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and extend on Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and from Zebulun, and I will, lead, I will lead you by the river Kishon, Sisera the commander of the army of Jabin and his chariots and his army, then I will give him into your hand. Beautiful. Go, raise this many men, go to this place, and I will win the battle for you. That's what God says. Notice Barak's response. If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Wow. Here you have a direct message from God a direct plan from God and he says I won't do it unless you go with me and if you're not going to go I'm not going to do it what Barak should have said was this I'm humbled that God has chosen me and I will do what God has asked me to do That's what he should have said. He should have said, I'm excited and ready to be part of God's plan. I will not go if you won't go. Now, I said I I gave Barak a C grade. (laughs) I don't know how you would grade him. Maybe D, maybe F. After all, he does go eventually. I don't want to be too hard on them because I think this happens in our lives too. There are too many times we know exactly what God wants us to do. 
and yet we don't do it. Or we know exactly what he tells us not to do, and we go ahead and do it anyway. Verse 9, she said, I will surely go with you, except the honor will not be yours because of the way you are going. For by the hand of a woman, the Lord will deliver Sisera. So Deborah, Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up, on with, his, went up with his foot soldiers of 10,000 men, and Deborah went with them. Now Hebrid the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Deborah said to Barak, Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin and the family of Heber the Kenite. Verse 18. And I'll read my translation. You can read what's in the bulletin. Jael went out to meet Sisera, and she said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me, and don't be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a curtain. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink because I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink, and she covered him up. He said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if a man should come and ask you and say, is there a man here? Then you say, now this is my translation, ain't nobody here. I don't know if the, if the Hebrew would translate that way or not. But. Then Jael, the wife of Haber, got a tent peg and put the hammer in her hand. She came to him quietly and she drove the peg into his temple and she drove it into the ground. But he was sleeping, fatigued, and he died. And behold, Barak was pursuing Sisera in jail, went out to meet him, and she said to him, Come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her. Behold, Sisera was fallen dead, and the tent peg was in his head. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. Um, on the screen I have the lessons. Lesson number one. What's the, what's the, what this is what's this supposed to mean to you? 
Lesson one, be willing and able to serve the Lord. Be willing and able to serve the Lord. And lesson number two is, God can use anybody. That means you. God can use anybody. That means you. I, I thought one thing I could do this morning would be to bring in a hammer and a nail and see if, see, see if any women here could hit the, hit the nail with the hammer and hit it into the, some wood. Now, listen, I think you all could do it. You could all hit the nail with the hammer and hammer it into the wood. That means you could have done this. <laughs> God can use anybody. And uh, the idea of putting up a tent, that was, that was woman's work. That's what women had to do. And God can use what women can do to win a great battle. And that's exactly what he does. He defeats their greatest enemy and the biggest warrior by the hand of a woman. And I also thought, well, maybe I could bring a jug of milk and see if you could open a jug of milk and pour a glass of milk. If you could do that, <laughs> you could win this battle. Anybody can do it. Um, we, can be, we can be used by God. Um, second thing is, and this is, this is over and over again in the book of Judges, you have to be willing to serve. You have to be willing to step up and say, I will do it. I will do what God wants me to do. And uh, in this case, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna, we don't have time to read chapter 5, but in chapter 5, Deborah writes a poem about what happens in chapter 4. And in chapter 5, there are four and a half tribes who are called to come and help, and they don't come. In fact, it says in Reuben, there was much searching of heart. They sat around their campfires looking after their sheep, and there was much searching of heart, but they never went. They kept asking themselves, should we go? And they sat around and they talked about it. And they go, well, what are we going to do? We're shepherds and they have chariots with iron. And if we go to fight them, they're just going to wipe us out. Let somebody else deal with it. We don't care if they get run over and we don't care if they're getting hurt. That's not our business. Let them go. And God is looking for people who are willing to say, I'm, I'm here to be used. If you need help, I'm willing to help. I don't know what I can do, but I'm, I'm here to help. That is a theme over and over again in the book of Judges. The reason why he ends up using the judges he uses is because the rest of the people don't want to do it. So he puts out his hand and takes who wants to and who's willing, and that's why he grabs a Samson. Because nobody else wants to do it. Point number three, be obedient. Be obedient. I remember singing that song as a kid, 
O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately and joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Barak's not that obedient. I will go only if you go. Thank God a woman is willing to, willing to go with him. I started off by saying Deborah's not a great warrior. It turns out in the end she is a great warrior. She's the general. She's the one who comes up with the plan. She's the one who encourages the troops. She's the one who will, in, in, if she doesn't go, they don't fight. Thank God she goes. Point number four, the Lord is the hero. If the Lord doesn't act to save, nobody gets saved. In chapter five, as Deborah writes the poem, you find out what happens in the battle. How do 10,000 foot soldiers take out 900 iron chariots? It turns out that it rained. The heavens opened and the creek rose. The chariots became traps and Israel defeated them. The Lord, be there on this day and the Lord wins the battle. Finally, the Lord will save you. The Lord will save you. He sent a Savior. Um, this, excuse me. I don't know if you've been following the uh, 12 boys trapped in a cave in Thailand. And uh, brings back uh, visions of my childhood when I was also lost in a cave uh, one time in Tennessee and lost for a few hours. And uh, it's frightening. And uh, they've been lost for two weeks. And uh, before, this, I know this morning they got four boys out. And uh, amazing. And... Uh, there are these 12 boys trapped two miles into a cave, and it takes six hours to get to them by scuba diving. And uh, unless someone is going to save them, they would die there. No doubt about it. Unless someone saves them. Unless someone puts themselves out and works hard those 12, 11 boys and one coach would be killed and die. And one person trying to save them did die. And uh, I know uh, on Wednesday night we were praying that the Lord would help them and the Lord would save them. And I was praying that again this morning, Lord, please save those boys. And uh, I trust he will save them. Oh, there's a picture. I forgot, I forgot that was on there picture of this soccer team uh, lost in the cave and uh, I'm praying that they will be saved they need a savior well the same thing is true for you today we have been separated from God 
and we're separated from Him by our sin. And there is no hope. We are lost and in the dark. And unless He sends a Savior and saves us, we're hopeless. But the good news is that He has sent a Savior. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And He came into this world to be the perfect leader and to save by giving his own life in the place of ours. And that is the good news of the Bible. If we cry out to him, save me, he will save you. That's the promise. And he will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness bring you into his family, adopt you, and pour out his spirit into your life. And uh, I think that's the message of the book of Judges. Cry out to him. He will save you. He's got the perfect one for you. That's Jesus Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.